you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. There are, uh, <clears throat> there are many areas in our life as believers that uh, I don't I don't know how to correctly phrase this maybe, but I find it really hard uh, or challenging, even with powerful truth, both from the Word of God and for the Word that He's revealed, that it that comes under an anointing, which He has freely and easily given. I still find that there are some areas of the Christian life that are very hard for us to shift from those things we once knew to the revelation that he's now bringing. And it is in that shift that a great deal of freedom comes. It's in that shift that a great deal of transformation comes. But I still find it very difficult in the way he instructs us and teaches us and even demonstrates in front of us for us in so many aspects of our Christian life. Unfortunately, we still leave leave and live unchanged, powerless, and ultimately doubting. He has brought great truth, great power, great freedom. And you have heard here, I think, as often as you could anywhere, about this freedom that God has for us. He bought it. He paid for it. You go to Isaiah chapter 61, and you read when it says, and this is the reason that Jesus is coming. He's coming to set captives free to open prison doors, to remove chains. There is no confusion that the purpose of his coming is freedom, freedom from our sin, freedom from our guilt, freedom from our shame, freedom from our regrets, freedom from all of those things. He came to set us free. He has brought messages to describe even how that works, how I can be free from sin because I'm righteous free from bondage because of the Holy Spirit, free from self-effort because of His power. He has taught us these things only to realize that so many in the believing world are still held in that bondage, still held in guilt, still held in shame, still seeing themselves as powerless in living lives of doubt. There are so many aspects of the Christian life. That's just one example where we have been taught and understand this, what he's revealed to us. But for some reason, and I'm sure the reasons are as many as there are people, but for many reasons, that which we have heard by revelation under an anointing doesn't quite change the life that we live every day. I think, That's worth considering. I taught this morning in Sunday school from Mark chapter 6. I I, I just really find it amazing that the disciples being sent out, they've just fed the multitude, they've just fed the 5,000 by their own hands. They They were given a little bit of bread, they were given a little bit of fish, and then they turned to the multitude, and I wonder how they felt in that moment. 5,000 at least sitting in front of them, and this is all we've got. I wonder what that moment, what that first step was like. 
But even with all that they saw there, when all that day was over, it says that Jesus sent them away. And he says, he put them in a boat and told them, I want you to go to Bethsaida. Go across the sea to Bethsaida. So they get in the boat. He, he sends the crowd away. He goes up on a mountain to pray. We're talking about probably three to four in the afternoon. He goes up on the mountain in the pray, but it says in the fourth watch, which would have been early the next morning, when he finishes praying, he looks and he sees them out on the sea and they're struggling. They've been out there for hours. They've been, in, they've been out there for hours struggling against this wind that's come up against them. And it's very unusual because one of the things that we have taught in the Christian life, in the Christian world, is that if I'm being obedient to God, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm in the boat, if I'm going where I'm supposed to go, then the wind of God should be at my back and the sailing should be easy. But here they are, fully in obedience, and the wind is coming against them. And I shared this morning, as a continuation of last week, God needed the disciples to learn something that they hadn't learned in the giving of the, of the bread and the fish and feeding the multitude. He needed them to discover that it's very different to discover God in the middle of a struggle as it looks like discovering God in the middle of a blessing. I shared with them, if, if, if I wake up each morning and I put on this harness, and every step I take, I'm dragging a 500-pound weight behind me. That would be a hard day. You wouldn't go very far. But you would know immediately when someone came and took that from you and started dragging it themselves, you would immediately recognize that someone, some presence was there to lift your load. You take that weight away, you take that which you're dragging away, you might not ever notice that they came and walked beside you. It's in the struggle that we understand something about God's presence that we can't discover anywhere else. And then I, we went to Matthew to the same story and saw where Peter got out of the boat. And I told him this morning how unusual it was that when Jesus said to Peter, come to me, Peter now had a word from God. He had a word from Jesus, but in the very next verse, in verse 30 of that same passage, it says, but he saw the storm. He was by faith walking on the word. It was when he saw what he saw that he began to sink. What a powerful revelation that is to you and I, that when we're by faith we hear, we walk in the supernatural until we begin to let the circumstances that we see affect it and we begin to sink. You see, these are powerful revelations of God that should, by the very nature of them, move us from bondage to freedom. Should release us from something broken into something that is whole. And there are so many of these areas where God says, I'm teaching you anointed under, under an anointed word. I'm teaching these things so that you can move from where you are in the direction where I want you to go. So I preached on these topics and find agreement but little change on our everyday lives. 
even mine at times is a struggle. One of those most concerning areas, though, because I find that it is the foundation of so much, one of the most concerning areas is our lack of understanding regarding this topic, and the topic is prayer. We will not move forward very well. We won't become that fire that God has described us to be, that new vision. And you know something, it's, I've lived in sundown a long time. And used to, they don't do this anymore, but used to, when they would call the firemen, they would, they would ring the siren so that everybody in town would hear it. I think one blast was the ambulance, two was a fire maybe out of town, and three of those was a fire in town. You know something? Nobody ever had to send you an invitation to come to a fire. Man, they, you knew there's a fire in town. The crowd, you could see the, you know, you could see the cars beginning to back out of driveways and take off because everybody wanted to go to see where the fire was. I was driving up to the church the other day and I noticed some smoke over here just in one of the neighborhoods. Think I came to the church? No. <laughs> Had to go see where the fire was. You see, when you build a fire, you don't have to send an invitation. People will come because they always want to see the fire. We're not going to have a very good fire if we don't understand how to pray. Prayer is such an important part. Prayer, that which we have heard a great deal about. Prayer, we've been told so often that we need to do. Prayer, we've been told, is the key to our happy lives. Prayer is that it's our duty and obligation to do in consideration of others. We've been taught a lot of things about prayer. So I want to discuss it. I'm going to take just a few minutes and talk to you about prayer. New Testament prayer. Once again, to bring it up this morning, it's so foundational to all that we do, to understanding truth and will, and by its very nature, to let it become the strong tower of testimony and witness that we all need, because it won't happen without prayer. First, we need to understand the basic difference between the prayer of the Old Testament and between the prayer of the New Testament. If we don't get this, we're, we'll continue to pray in an Old Testament manner. You've heard, I know you've heard this many times, but it's, it's worthy of repeating. You've heard me teach it. In the, in the Old Testament, prayer was visitational. Not an easy word, but expresses the thought. Prayer was based on a visit with God. It was the nature of the relationship that they had with God because before Jesus came and before he died and before his resurrection, the Holy Spirit could only be on the outside of them, so every prayer was a visit with God on the external. So we could truly say in the Old Testament that the people of the Old Testament were praying to God. They were praying to God. And often their prayers were the expression of the fact that they were searching for Him. They were searching for something. So the very nature of the Old Testament prayer, remember this, they were praying to God and they were searching for God in their prayers. In the New Testament, prayer is dynamically changed. Prayer is now habitational. 
because he no longer is limited to this external relationship because of his righteousness now on me, his righteousness now on my story, he now dwells in me. He dwells in us. So we don't pray to God anymore. And I hope you're beginning to understand why this New Testament reality is so different than the old because most of us are still saying, I'm praying to God. Which infers that he is functioning in an external capacity. So what is the correct term now? According to the scripture, and I'll show you these scriptures, how do we pray today? We pray with God. You see, we, we don't hear this much. We're still praying to an external reality when the very external reality now lives in here. How can I pray to him when he's in here? Because he has inhabited me. He has inhabited my mind. He has inhabited my voice. He has inhabited my heart. The best that I could ever hope for in, re, in, in reality express is that I pray with him because it is him who is in me living the Christian life through me. I'm praying with him, not to him. If you get this, it will transform your life. If you understand this reality, because most of us feel like we're either close to God at times or distant from God at times, and that seems very strange because if I'm over here as far as I can go, where is the Spirit of God? It's right here. It's in me. If I go over here as far as I can go, trying to run from God, where is the Spirit of God? I never get any closer. I never get any further away because He has taken up habitation in me. These are things that we know. It's just we, I don't know if we've ever let it completely sink in in how this conversation with him works. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So this Jesus who is our Savior, this Jesus who has touched and transformed our life says that he is at the right hand of the Father always making intercession for you, intercession for me. So here is that profound announcement. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. For each of us as believers, he prays for us. I ask you this question. Are you ever curious about what he is praying? Isn't that interesting? He's there making intercession for me. I wonder what he's praying. Now let me ask this. Would you ever have any desire to pray for something for which he is not praying. I hope I know the answer. 
I hope I would never want to pray something that he wasn't praying for me already. I wonder what that would look like. Who was that? What did God have to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it may be him. <clears throat> Would you ever want to pray against him? No. These, these answers are obvious. I hope we would never want to pray for ourselves and ask for something other than what he is praying. So can we admit maybe that he knows what's best and always does what's right? I truly want to pray over myself those things which, which he's praying, don't you? Because I can be praying, God, I'm tired I need you to help me. And God, Jesus is before the Father saying, thank you, Father, that you have already given Randy everything that he could ever possibly need. You've already given him all the strength. You've already given him all the love. Thank you, Father, for all that you've already done. Thank you, Father, for the love that you have shown him. Thank you, Father, for the transforming power that you have placed in his life. And I'm down here praying, Father, I'm kind of tired, kind of weak. You think he's praying to the Father? Father, would you help Randy get some strength? Some power maybe? No. You see, I want to declare over me what he's declaring to the Father about me. Whoa, that'll transform you. Be curious. Ask him. Father, why are you praying over me? Because I would love to pray the same thing. I'd love to pray the same thing. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So now then, we have two out of three of the members of the Godhead that are making intercession for us. And I don't think they are ever in disagreement about what they're praying. The Holy Spirit prays for us as well. And he's right here. I can almost see how this works. The Holy Spirit who knows me because he exists in me, this habitation that he's now taken up, this Holy Spirit that now lives in me can speak directly to, to Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. They're going to be in agreement about what they're saying before me and speaking over me and requesting in me. They're going to say it together before the Father. So I have two in, in this range. The only person who can't get in agreement with those two seems to be me. But wouldn't it be nice if those two praying to the Father found this third member in the prayer who was in agreement with them? Man, the Spirit prays for us as well. Jesus is interceding. The Holy Spirit is interceding. We are that voice, that 
when we speak that which Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaks or the obedience that releases his will to find action in the lives of others. I'm going to pray for Melanie. I want to say to her in this prayer exactly what the Holy Spirit is interceding on her behalf to say. I want, I want to say exactly what, the, what Jesus at the right hand of God is interceding on her behalf. I don't want to say anything to her in prayer other than what those two have established over her. So it tells me that by this prayer, if I'm this third member, by this prayer, I get to pray as an act of obedience. They release the power. Man, prayer is a big deal. Prayer is a big deal. And I don't want, personally, I don't want to be in disagreement with them as I pray. Again, I hope this makes very simple, very logical sense. My praying, your praying, our praying, acting in obedience to what they're praying releases us just like it did in John 5, 19 when Jesus says, without the Father, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see my Father do. I can only speak what I hear my Father speak. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be in my flesh in agreement with the Father. I'm not going to disagree with him in my actions. I'm not going to disagree with him in my words because my action allows him to release power, release healing, release a transformation. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm, I have said this so many times. I get to live this amazingly blessed life. I get to sit with people and pray. And it is, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's more fun than I ever have anywhere else. When the Holy Spirit releases something to me so that I can say something over somebody in agreement with him and can declare, not maybe I'm going to pray this for you, hope it works, but to be able to say, this is what the Holy Spirit just allowed me to say to you. I'm, re I'm, I'm releasing over you his truth. I'm releasing over you his revelation and then to watch that revelation transform the life sitting in front of me. It is fun to watch because he does what he's already said. I wonder how strange our prayers sound to God. I, I bet they, I bet, I bet they really, I, I think sometimes he has to say, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing Jesus at, 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 on, on one side, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit, hearing Jesus, and then I'm hearing you. Like, what are you talking about? Why does your prayer not sound like theirs? When I put that very Spirit of God in you, why are your prayers sounding so strange to me? I don't know if he thinks about things like that or not. Probably doesn't. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verse 7. Very familiar passage. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We just got through singing that. Unplanned, by the way. Whole set new. All right. Yeah. 
We even talked about an all-consuming fire that requires no invitation. Verse 8, for everyone that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Is that true for you? Most of us would have to honestly say no. I've asked, nothing. I went seeking, didn't find. I knocked, don't think it opened. Do you think it might be because it was a critical step missed? What did you ask for and where did you get that information? Did you stop before you ask? Did you stop before you sought? Did you stop before you knocked? So that you could ask the Holy Spirit? So that you could ask Jesus? So that I'm asking for what they want me to ask for? That I'm knocking on the door that they have put in front of me? That I'm seeking that which they have established that I should find? Well, I will tell you, if you didn't take that first step, to seek the Spirit, to seek what Jesus was making intercession for, which gives you the certainty in your prayer. I can pray with certainty of an answer. I can pray with certainty of a resolution if I stop long enough and pray and knock and seek that which Jesus is seeking, that which the Holy Spirit is seeking. I will tell you with an absolute certainty when you take those steps, you're going to find answer to prayer and you're going to find that it is powerful and supernatural because you're praying in agreement and with the certainty of what they are praying for on your behalf. Amen. Leave those two pieces out and what will determine our prayer? The circumstances or the situation that I find myself in will determine my prayer. We pray, Father, I'm alone. I'm alone. That sounds strange. To a spirit, to Jesus. And both of them saying, Father, thank you that you have already promised that you will never leave, that you will never forsake. Thank you, Father. You see, they're going to thank, they're going to thank him and intercede on our behalf, not so that we'll get what we need, so it will keep us from being alone. Because he, he said, you will never be alone. <clears throat> Why don't we pray with certainty in our prayers? Because we missed the first step. I wouldn't try, honestly, I wouldn't try to find that certainty without first discovering the will of the Father. We sing it. That part of the Lord's Prayer, on the earth as it is in heaven, Jesus prayed it. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, <clears throat> hearing him, which allows our faith to come, gives us the, cert the certainty and boldness in our prayers. 
When we pray out of fear, when we pray out of anxiety, when we pray out of stress, when we pray out of doubt, he certainly understands and comprehends those prayers. I'm not going to say that when we start praying and just putting ourselves before the Lord in our brokenness that he's going to cover his ears and say, I'm not going to listen to that nonsense. But I will tell you that immediately he will begin to remind you in those prayers, even those born in fear, those born in doubt, those born in anxiety, those born in brokenness, he will immediately, if you know him as Savior, if you know him because the Holy Spirit lives in you, he will immediately begin to remind you of that which you already have. He will give assurance of that which he has already established for you. Those prayers take the outline of the circumstances and they pray in line with the problems that they create. I would, I would venture to guess, and this is according to a survey that I did that I made up for this message. It's factually true based on the survey of one. <clears throat> I would suspect that 90% plus of all the prayers that are offered in the Christian world never begin with seeking the Holy Spirit or the will of Jesus who's making intercession for us. I would guess that 90 plus percent are born out of the situation where we find ourselves or the circumstances where we are. Again, I'm, I don't believe he stops hearing. He understands us. He's a father who loves us. But even as a father, if Jay were to come to me and say, Dad, I, 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 need, I need some money as a kid, I could easily say to Jay, I understand that. But, but look, in, look in your checking account because the money's already there. You see, I would want to remind him of that which has already been given to him if he's sitting in a situation where he doesn't believe that he has what I've already given Wouldn't that be what a loving father did? I come to him in my problem and for the problem to say, and for the father to say, let me tell you how I've already solved your problem. Let me tell you what I've already given you. Let me remind you of the grace. Let me remind you of the love. Let me remind you of the peace. Let me, let me remind you of the hope. Do you hope? It's a good question. Let's flip this around. <clears throat> okay, you're, I'm encouraging you to pray that which they're praying. Do you want them praying while you're praying? Think about it for just a second. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I don't, I don't want them before the Father saying, Father, Holy Spirit praying, praying to the Father, Father, I'm alone. Jesus over here at the right hand of Father saying, Father, because all I'm asking him to do is to pray what I'm praying. Do I want them praying those words? Do I want them praying? I'm praying down here, Father, I'm brokenhearted. Here's, here's Jesus over here saying, Father, I'm brokenhearted. Holy Spirit's over here saying the same words. Because all they're doing is they're, I'm just asking them to pray what I'm praying. I, I don't want them to pray what I'm praying. I want them to pray the truth. I want them to announce. I want them to 
be powerful. I want them to be interceding for me. I want them to be declaring to the Father and to, which then declaring to me that which already is, that which has already been established, that which is already true because I know he's right and I know he knows what's best and I can live every day trusting that very, that very, very strong fact. I hope they're praying, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want them to pray, thank you, Father, because I want them declaring over me that which has already been done. Thank you, Father, for making him whole. Thank you, Father, for restoring his hope. Thank you, Father, for the kindness that is already coming his way. Thank you, Father, for bringing him out of the tomb where he's been laying for four days. Thank you, Father. I want to pray with certainty about what he's praying. I want to pray the will of the Father in agreement with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so I can expect a very real outcome. Go with me to John chapter 11 if you want to take just a minute. This is, this is, this is we need to end with, with this, but it needs to be real clear. Mary and Martha have sent for Jesus because Lazarus, their brother, is very sick. <clears throat> and Jesus sends word to her, word to her. This is not a sickness unto death. But now Jesus shows up four days later, verse 38. John 11, verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou would believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hast heard me always. Hear this prayer? I know you've already heard me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when, he had thus, when thus he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with the grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Martha wanted Jesus to pray for healing. Think so? He wanted, she wanted Jesus to come, and she wanted Jesus. She already determined the prayer. She knew what she needed, she had already determined the prayer within her mind. She looked at the problem. She saw the situation. She saw that Lazarus was sick. She, all she knew was, I got to get Jesus here because he will pray. He will do something. And, and the sickness that has Lazarus bound will be removed and Lazarus will be healed. Martha wanted Jesus to pray for healing. Why didn't he come? Because the father wanted him to pray for resurrection. And Jesus knew it. And if Martha would have trusted the word that Jesus spoke when he said, this is not a sickness unto death because Martha and Mary already had the word of God that, that I don't care what the situation says, I don't care what the circumstances are, do not focus on those, stay on the word, Peter in the, in the boat, walking on the word of God until he began to see the storm. Here, are, here they are with a word from Jesus, this is not a sickness unto death, which contained in it a promise that Lazarus would live, but they saw Lazarus die, buried him four days now and stinking. But Jesus knew that the will of the Father 
was not to pray for healing, but to pray for the resurrection of the dead. There's a practical reality found in this that will make this message either real to you or useless to you. If you believe, if you know that he speaks to you, to me, if you know that you can hear when he speaks, then we can pray with certainty and we can pray with power. Now, if you don't believe those two things, if you don't believe you can hear him, if you don't believe that he speaks, then we have to pray with a guess. I'm going to try to guess what the Father wants here. But if I can hear him and he speaks, then I can pray with certainty and power. We must each day awake in the anticipation of hearing him and then realizing that our prayer is the obedience that he is seeking. So he can release the restoration, the salvation, the regeneration that was his plan and his will. I'm going to read this scripture and we'll conclude. This is Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. How or where? In the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is praying. I'm praying always ceaseless in all the prayers and all the supplications, but I have to pray in the Spirit. I'm not praying to God. I'm praying with God because He knows what I don't know. He can make utterances that I can't make. He can pronounce what I can't pronounce. I want to pray in agreement with Him. I've told you all this story and I'll end with it. Several years ago when Janice was in uh, in the hospital, and she was having a thoracentesis, I think is the right word. They were draining fluid from her lungs. And I was sitting in the waiting room because I couldn't go back with her, and uh, I got a call when I was sitting there that from a guy that was our youth pastor at the time, and not here, but in another church where I was, and he said, can you come upstairs right quick? So I didn't even know they were in the hospital, so I went upstairs to the room. His mother-in-law was in there. And the room was a mess emotionally. And I step in the room and they tell me she's just been diagnosed with cancer. And you can expect what the condition of the room with that news, what it would be like. And they begin to ask me, would you pray that God would heal her? And I'm, I'm very new in this, that I'm even more new than I am now. So I, I said, yes, I'll, I'll be glad to pray. And then, and then it's like I had to tell him. But I can't pray that God would heal her. And they were not happy with that word. They were not pleased with me. I said, I, I will pray that she will be safe in this boat in the middle of this storm. But I'm sorry, I can't pray that God would heal her. 
<clears throat> so I prayed for her. <clears throat> they still weren't very happy with me. I left the room, went back down to the waiting room, been down there about 10 minutes, and the phone rang again, and they said, would you come back up here? So I went back up to the room, not knowing exactly what this moment was going to be like. I get in the room, and the woman sitting on the side of the bed with her, with her suitcase packed. And they, I said, what's going on? They said, well, we're, we're going home. The doctor stepped into the wrong room. She didn't have cancer. She's going home. And I knew why God wouldn't let me pray for the cancer. Again, I was, I was brand new in it, but I could tell in that moment God was saying, you, you cannot pray for healing. You have, you have no permission to pray for healing. And, and again, the circumstance said, what, what else would I pray for? You try, to, you try to read the circumstances and try to understand what you're going to pray for, you're, you're very likely going to pray something that is not like, you know, the will of the Father. We have a good friend. Her name was Sandra Meek that was a uh, dean of women at West Texas State University, and we went up to see her after she had been diagnosed with cancer. And she said she couldn't really tell us how many people from the church she had sent off, sent home, because they were, they, they were praying Out of, love, out, of, out of a loving attempt to pray, but they were praying, and she was telling them, no, there is no sadness here. There is no bad news here. There is no death sentence here. Because they were coming to pray for what they could interpret she needed, and she's having to tell them, no, you, if that's what you're going to pray, then you leave, because that's not the situation. I love the boldness. But I would have much rather somebody spent time with the Holy Spirit than came into her house and prayed over her in agreement with what the Spirit said was really going on. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want somebody coming into your house praying over you that which the Holy Spirit said, I want you to speak? I don't care what you can make up and how good you can make it sound. I, I would prefer that it be in agreement with the Spirit of God to pray always, endlessly, in the spirit so that those things I pray I pray with certainty thanks for listening to this message for more resources visit sundownchurch.com